In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Love is one of those words that we think we understand, but we really don't. If you were to try to give a definition of it, more than likely you would stumble across words and phrases, none of which feel right or fit exactly. Webster's Dictionary defines love as strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties, but to me, that seems a little cold and calloused for a word like love. Poets have tried to give us summaries of love, from Shakespeare and before to the metaphysical poets and modern writers. Love is almost indefinable in words, but we all know what it means in that ineffable and mysterious way. We know what love is. Now, in English at least, we sometimes get caught up short by the word love because it is one word that is used to express so many things. We talk about love of country, but that doesn't mean that you love your nation like you love your parent. And you certainly don't love your parents like you love your best friend. And you probably don't even love your best friend like you love your spouse, unless they're the same person. In Greek, the language of the New Testament, there are seven different words for love and the different ways that love is exhibited. And you actually know several of these, and some of them have found their way into our, into our everyday speech. For example, when you have a deep love for a friend, perhaps would consider that person almost like a brother or a sister, then you are experiencing philia, sometimes loosely translated as brotherly love. And our American city of Philadelphia is sometimes loosely translated as the city of brotherly love. Within these seven types of love, well, there's actually an eighth called mania, but we won't, we won't go into that one. Within these seven types of love, there is one that is used rather extensively throughout the New Testament, and it is agape. Agape is sometimes seen as love of or for mankind. Sometimes we say it is not wishing someone else harm, but it actually runs deeper than that. Agape love and many of the ancient texts convey a way of feeling unconditional love, similar to that which parents feel for their children. And sometimes, usually, it is seen as the interconnected love between God for man and man for God. St. Thomas Aquinas defines agape as the will to the good of the other or to will another person good. And in the unconditional love that God expresses for us, we are to express for each other. When we recite like that familiar verse, for God so loved the world, what we are saying is, for God so agape loved 
the world. And when Jesus gives his disciples the mandatum, which we celebrate on Monday, Thursday, with the words, I give you a new commandment that you love one another, Jesus is saying that they, and we too, must unconditionally love, agape love, one another. And when we come to our passage in Luke today, and there is little more difficulty in what Jesus says, love your enemies, Jesus is saying you must agape love your enemies. You must love them unconditionally. If you are anything like me, you probably want to say something like, get real, Jesus, or that's not the way it works. And we might even be tempted to say something rather enlightened or philosophical like respect, a.k.a. love, is earned, not just freely given. Or even it's a dog-eat-dog world out there where we do anything to be successful. Anything, if, even if it means stepping on the little people or destroying our enemies. The problem, I think, stems from what we think love is rather than what love is in reality. Love is not the warm, fuzzy feelings we get. Yes, that might be a part of it, but it might be an indication that you're loving something naturally or effortlessly. But it is not not, as many of the young people say today, the feels. That is something different, like infatuation or affection. But it isn't necessarily love. Love is not something that is given away at some price, saying that because someone did something or performed some task for us that we will now love them. And love is certainly not just a good feeling that arises or a feeling that because we are happy or this person makes us happy, that it is this agape love which Jesus is speaking of. The love which Jesus is speaking of is not passive, like loving a puppy or even loving a good book or a particular tree in a park. This love, agape love, is active love. It is the love that requires something of us. Actually, it demands something of us. Love the way Jesus speaks of it means we cannot hold love back from anyone. Loving like Jesus loved, which is what we say we want to be doing, is an act of love, a love that is demonstrable in our lives by the way we both treat and engage with others. There are people who are called unlovable. Some have been told that by their parents, maybe by their children. Maybe by their spouse. Loving them like Jesus 
would mean that we must go to them, seek them out, and help them see that we love them, and the church loves them, and God loves them. There are hardened criminals, murderers, rapists, even terrorists. Some were mentally ill. Others have been indoctrinated into an ideology. Others still acted one time in bad judgment and are paying and will forever pay a price to society. How do we show them God's love? And not in some superficial way, but in a real and authentic way that allows Christ's love to spark in their hearts. How are you going to share that love? What does it look like for you to visit those in jail or in prison? But what about if we bring it a little closer to home, to people whom we know? We all have them. They are the people who have hurt you. It might be the parents whose discipline was really physical abuse. Maybe it is the person who took you when you were young and told you that what happened was all right because what they made you do is a secret. It could be the adult brother or sister who is holding some family grudge against you from years past. It might be the person who divorced you and broke your heart, or the bank officer who foreclosed on your house or your business, or the drunk driver who killed someone close to you, or, 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 you know who I'm talking about. How on earth does Jesus expect us to love them? First, we must look at Jesus, for he is our pattern. In his agony, in one of his final words on the cross, Jesus prays to God to do what? It isn't smite his enemy. It wasn't to make sure that Judas, who betrayed him, got his due. No. He prayed that our Father would forgive those who were in the literal act of killing him. That, beloved brothers and sisters, is what love looks like. If Jesus is our example, the person who we are to model our lives after, then in our deepest agony, when we have been hurt the most, we too must pray for our enemies and for God to forgive them. And that leads into the second. If we pattern Jesus Firstly, then secondly, we must pray for our enemies. We must pray for those who have hurt us. One of the ironies of the Lord's Prayer 
which we will say just before coming to this altar to receive the body and blood of Christ, is that we ask our Father to forgive us only in the same measure that we forgive others. But I have found in my life, when someone has really hurt me, is that if I consistently and constantly pray for God's mercy to be upon them each day, that God's light would show them His grace and love. And when I truly commit to praying for their goodwill and commit myself to forgiveness, it changes me. It makes me less cold-hearted and more willing to forgive all those who have hurt me. And most of the time, reconciliation of some sort, some kind, happens. And thirdly, we must demonstrate that love both in here and in the world. And that's difficult, too. We sing songs about they'll know we are Christians by our love. And we talk about how love lifted me. And we even remember those kumbaya moments. But until we share that love, until we go out of our way and show it unashamedly, then this world will never believe in God's love, in Christ's sacrificial love. I don't always get it right. In fact, most days I prob probably fail utterly. But that's why we practice it. And that is why we practice it here in this Holy Eucharist so that we get better at showing it and doing it out there. That's the beauty of our liturgical act of sharing the peace. It isn't a time for catching up on the news or wondering where we're going to eat lunch today. That's what coffee hour is for. It is a symbol, a sign that we love each other and are at peace, true peace with each other. When we as Christians begin to sacrifice ourselves, our souls and bodies to show this agape love in the world, then all people will be drawn to Christ. In a little while, we will sing one of Isaac Watts' most well-known hymns, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. The last stanza speaks about this love, this agape love of Christ that we are to embody, that we are to go and do. Watts says, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love, so amazing, so divine man's my soul, my life, my all.
Today is Sexagesima Sunday. We have about a week and a half to prepare for Lent, for Ash Wednesday. As we find ourselves approaching Lent, take the time now to start thinking about the ways that you can become living love. Begin to learn to love your enemies. Begin to forgive those who have taken goods from you. Take this gospel with you today. And when you have five minutes during this week, read it. And pray for God to show you how best to love this world like Jesus does. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.